This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dashran Johan. With the growing popularity of PAS and the Islamist movement in Malaysia, it is imperative now more than ever for the unity government led by Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim to be a genuine alternative. The alternative, firstly, needs to be one that focuses on improving the material lives of regular working-class Malaysians, but also offers a cohesive vision of a Malaysian identity, a philosophy that we can emotionally latch onto. The Prime Minister has, of course, launched the Malaysia Madani concept. The question is, can it capture the imagination of the masses? Joining me on the show today to unpack this is Kevin Zhang, Senior Research Officer at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. Welcome to the show, Kevin. How are you? Always a pleasure to be back on BFM. Thank you. I want to start with this. Before we dive into the Madani slogan in and of itself, when we look at a political party like PAS or the coalition like Prikata National, we broadly understand what exactly um, they stand for, what they are fighting for, what their uh, um, sort of broad political ideology is, right? When you look at the current unity government, um, who they call themselves the Madani government, do you think they have um, done enough to, to flesh out what they represent? And do you think they are a distinct alternative to what PAS and Prikata National is offering? Yeah, so I think for for the benefit of audience, it's, broad, it's fair to characterize Prikata National as a conservative right-wing Malay Muslim coalition, right? Where uh, placing emphasis on uh, higher welfare spending, especially for Bumi Putras, and also um, increase in secondary as a subsidiary point, uh, increased emphasis on Islam in both politics and social society. And I think that's something that PN is quite clear about. As Madani government, um, uh, probably most can agree is that they are lacking a distinct uh, ideas, which is why they did relatively badly in the recent state election. And I would say that there are structural reasons for so, precisely because um, the current unity government is saying, broadly speaking, uh, primarily is a collaboration between AMNO or uh, Barisan National and Pakatan Harapan. And we all know that these two coalitions have broadly very different ideas and they only came together a bit more cynical views for marriage of convenience, right? So AMNO has been the champion of Malay nationalism, but of course has been dodged by corruption allegations and charges and trials and imprisonment, whereas Pakatan Harapan has always been championing on multiracialism, anti-corruption and reform government. So when these two come together, it is inevitable that there's going to be quite difficult compromises or even like incompatibility because of you know, both the social and economic lenses are different, right? And for example, Amno is known for having a corporate uh, capitalism model, right? Where you have politicians involved in businesses, bringing the FDI from China, whereas uh, PH for the longest time, you know, tries to place itself a bit more of the socialist footing, particularly DAP. But when these two come together, as we see in the last one year or so, the part about, uh, you know, economic fairness and uh, justice, you know, that seems to be a bit, you, you have the ideals at the same time, but in terms of actual policy implementation hasn't been that 
uh, so salient or uh, obvious to the, to the uh, general masses. And I would say that this is precisely because we have two very different incompatible economic coalitions in the government now. And, you know, it's, it's still open question whether they can, can they even sort out their differing approach towards managing the economy over multiracialism. Whereas to some extent, PN is a bit had an easier job because you know they are in opposition and you know they 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 are uh, removed away from the actual implications of policy making or even uh pol- and, and and they are more of a role in doing politics therefore they can pro- propagate a more distinct or even a more right-wing Malay nationalist ideas. So let's unpack the Malaysia Madani brand and slogan. Um Kevin when you look at Malaysia Madani what does it represent? I think it's fair for the audience who are not so well informed just to go through the six core values of Malaysia Madani, right? Mm-hmm. And those are namely sustainability, prosperity, innovation, respect, trust, and compassion. And um, and I guess you know you 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 put it in a juxtapositioning between past versus uh, Anwar's Madani government. But let's not forget that the idea of Madani is also itself rooted in the Islamic concepts, a bit of an inclusive one. So like the idea of Madani is actually the Arabic root word. Uh, coming from the word Medina, whereas when Prophet was you know, in Medina leading up a community himself, the idea of the Medina Charter in relation to how Muslims and truly to non-Muslims and so the idea of justice, fairness, equality, I think that's something that's quite rooted within the Madani concept. But if you think of it from a broader stance, both the past vision and the Anwar's vision, they both have Islamic underpinnings and values based, right? So it's not to say that one is secular versus is Islamic, but it's more like different shades of Islamic values, arguably one more inclusive, one more conservative, but, you know, trying to, to vie for predominance, but within the broader Islamic context, yeah. Historically speaking, um, how important are slogans such as, you know, One Malaysia, Malaysia Baru, Keluarga Malaysia, and now Malaysia Madani. How important are these? And as well, I tried to uh, allude to a bit earlier in the conversation, a lot of it depends on how long the Prime Minister was. So I think that probably most Malaysians, even if they were not born during the first, uh, when Tun Mahathir was the Prime Minister for the first uh, for the first time, right? So of course, those who are younger than 20 years old, they still have a vague notion of Malaysia Vision 2020. And I think that Vision 2020 idea has stuck for Malaysians, especially those of older generation who've gone through the 80s and 90s. But I would say the subsequent slogans, be it from One Malaysia, uh, Kerajaan Prihati, Nandatan Sri Mayudin and Keluarga Malaysia, these slogans have gotten less traction, both when they they were respectively the Prime Minister and, and of course, after they stepped down. And the reason is really because when Tun Mahathir, during the, his first uh, premiership, he was able to you know, his idea of Vision 2020 was something that lasted, you know, in the next 30 years, coming up in the next 30 years or so. And he really captured the Malaysian's imagination when Malaysia back then in the 80s and 90s was seen as a prospering uh, middle-upper-income country moving towards an advanced economy, right? And that kind of vision that gels together with uh, political realities was able to get broad traction from both the Malays and non-Malays. And I think that's why Vision 2020 Back when it was launched, it was relatively successful. But of course, subsequent to Tun Mahathir, when you had Najib's uh, slogan, One Malaysia, by then Malaysia politics was you know, obvious that the non-Malay supported uh, Pakatan Rakyat or, or 
Pakatan Harapan, depending on which year you are in. Uh, so the idea of one Malaysia, Malaysia, Satu Malaysia sounded rather hollow instead. And I would say the same applied to both uh, Keluarga Malaysia or even uh, uh, Kerajaan Prihatin, right? Where Malaysia, you know, was during the depths of COVID, going through lockdowns, you know, people having white flag and, you know, this idea of a family or a caring government sounded a bit more distant. So a lot of it has to, depends on how much of the political slogan gels with the social realities and, and that's how you really get the slogans that sells the people. So, how well I think I think when we talk about um you know Malaysia Madani as a slogan, um what do you think it represents? Because a lot of times there is still um you know people talk about you know the need or how Malaysia Madani this Madani concept could be important, but people also talk about how many people perhaps don't even understand what it is or what it represents when compared to, let's say, um, some of the examples we just talked about, right? Um, when they say it's one Malaysia, very simple, whether, you know, it's hollow because of the, the prime minister that was governing the country at that time, or, you know, um, it's a different thing because at the end of the day, it's very simple. It's, it's a very um, easy to grasp. Um, what would you say Malaysia Madani represents? Um... It's important when mentioning about Malaysia Madani to realize that this is not Anwar's idea only after he became the PM, right? So he has been talking about his idea of humane economy even in the 90s where he back then was the former deputy prime minister under Tumade, of course, before the schism occurred, right? And Anwar has been, a, at least since the 90s onwards, was a bit different before that, but at least since the 90s onwards, a key component of this idea of eliminating oppression, you know, um, reduce, uh, you know, getting away inequality, exploitation, and linking it all to the idea of human flourishing and human values, right? So I think Mad Mad Malaysia Madani is actually a latest kind of, uh, you know, or maybe a revised manifestation of his idea first proposed back in the 90s of this idea of Masyarakat, or oh, sorry, Masyarakat Madani, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, basically a society that has Madani values. And this is how um, his idea of, and let's not forget the idea really came about in the nineties where Malaysia back then you had high economic growth, but you also have widened inequality. And his idea of uh, uh, reducing the income gap, you know, tackling away the excess of capitalism. And this is where all his idea of this humane economy really started. And I think he's going back to his, essentially what he, his roots are in his views, Anwar's views about what the economy is. Stay so, true to that. So let's talk about the economy because um, there is Malaysia Madani as a as a philosophy, as a as a as an ethical sort of um, vision or outlook. But there is also the economy aspect. So what do you understand from Anwar's economy Madani plan? How does the Madani economy narrative align with the vision? the broader vision of Malaysia Madani? I think it is when you go to the implementations, when you actually look at his detailed, what they call it, five-year plans or master plan, that, that's where you realise that, you know, you start to think whether things have really changed, right? So, if, for example, uh, over the next, next six months to end of this year, you have various uh, master plans to be launched as announced by ministers. So, you have plans that are in the pipeline to be launched soon. You have both the industrial 
manufacturing master plan, you have also the presumably the transport master plan and, and a lot of master plans coming up. So let's just take one example that have recently announced during the state election itself, which is how uh, there was, I think, a few billion worth of investment going to be poured into Qatar, especially nearer to the, the Kulim area for high-tech manufacturing. So, but the thing is that you know, it might sound good and we, we shall see whether it be implemented. But, but in actual substance, uh, relying on FDI to drive economic growth in this example means that, you know, nothing that much has changed. This was something that has been pursued, you know, even since back to Dumadides, as intensified during Najib, you know, trying to get investment from China. And I mean, the latest announcement by Anwar, we don't know who is behind this, I'm not sure who exactly, which country is behind this investment of this high-tech investment in Southern Qadar, but, you know, relying on FDI itself would, you know, seems to, you know, at least from what we are con- familiar about FDI, you know, it seems to, you know, perpetuate the dependence of foreign capital. So I would say that, you know, you both have the rhetoric, the vision, the philosophy of Madani economy, but if you go down to the actual implementation, maybe it hasn't changed much from what his Anwar's predecessor are doing, which is you know trying to grow the economic pie depending on FDI, trying to move Malaysia up the value chain. This has been what I would say the Prime Minister in the last few decades in Malaysia has all been trying to do. So. so, what would you say is the significance of the six core pillars? Um, of the Malaysia Madani outlook um, or, pl- or concept in terms of shaping economic policies. Um, is the six core pillars important in shaping these economic policies? Indefinitely, these are core pillars that... I, I, think they, I think that's something that almost everyone, regardless of their political alliances or whichever part of the political divide they fall under, they can almost everyone can agree on six core values, right? Things like sustainability, uh, trust, compassion, respect. You know, in the in the midst of climate change, I think we do need sustainable economic developments. You have the in the eco green master plan to be launched soon. Um, also the idea of innovation, um, which has been trying to be uh, pushed for during even when Dato Sri Najib was prime minister. Uh, of course, trust and compassion. I think regardless whether you're PN or BN or PH supporters, that's something all can agree on. So I would say that in terms of actual uh, values-wise, that's something that you know is the common ground for Malaysia to go forward. And I think people in Malaysia are not going to quibble about that. The question then is, you know, how do you achieve these six core plans, right? I think for Malaysia, the problem has always been uh, translating master plan into actual policies and for it to be implemented. I think that's the challenges that Malaysia has always had in trying to, you know, to, to actually implement policies on the ground. And I think that's where that people are trying to look out for and not so much about the values per se, because that's something that, you know, has been trying to be done by, obviously, maybe during Najib's time, um, there was a bit more focus maybe on innovation or economic growth and maybe it changed a bit more to inclusivity under the current regime but you see that the broad uh, you know the trust hasn't really changed that much I would say Alright let's go for a very quick break on the show with me today is Kevin Zhang Senior Research Officer at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute we continue this discussion after the break on Beyond the Ballot Box BFM 89.9 
Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Kevin Zhang, Senior Research Officer at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. And we're talking about the Malaysia Madani concept, slogan, philosophy, um, the whole thing, right? So, Kevin, um, has the Madani concept successfully captured the imagination of the public? If you look at the recent state election, I think the short answer would be no. Because uh, even on... So there's both the ground sentiments and what political manifesto is. But if you, of course, if you look at political manifesto, there's some references to the idea of uh, inclusivity, just effective government. But the reason why I would say that it's not really gaining much traction, even the manifesto, is that just compare the last election, general, general election manifesto of Pakatan Harapan versus the current uh, state election. So we realized that in the last last general election for, since ever since 2008 right for the last few general election the idea of anti-corruption is really strong in Pakatan Harapan's manifesto but if you look at the recent state election somehow corruption doesn't seem to be really on their agenda I think for obvious reasons that I shall not need to be elaborated upon right and this would be a bit contrary to the Madani idea which is the just and effective and transparent government which you know, if you're not going to talk about anti-corruption anymore, then how is it are you going to tackle Malaysia's uh, bureaucratic and so institution challenges? I think that's something that has been lacking and I would say therefore indicating that it hasn't gained much traction. But also on the other hand, uh, you know, among the electorate during the last two weeks of elections, I think people wasn't so much concerned about uh, I'm, I'm voting for Anwar because of Madani concept. A lot of it was more like, I'm voting for Anwar because I don't want past to be in government. You know, I don't want this green wave or Islamic extremism to be in power. So I would say, just say that on that front, the Madani version hasn't really caught up to the broad Malaysian masses, but this is also somewhat to be expected, even that Anwar has been in power for only, what, nine months. And I think it's more. It's only fair for more time to be given to Anwar for his idea to be propagated and to see whether it has, can be translated into actual policies on the ground. Now, when we look at the economic conditions, whether in Malaysia and across the world, right, there is this growing anger, this frustration among the working class masses. Um, they are unhappy with the status quo. Um, over the past 40 years, the rich has gotten richer, the poor have gotten poorer. Now, this has become fertile ground for right-wing populism to thrive. You have seen this in, in many parts of the world, right? Now, does the Madani economy narrative come with radical new ideas that can improve the material lives of the people? It's a hard question because, as what I said, that many of the Madani are, you know, the philosophy of Madani is quite, well clearly flesh out but if you look at the actual master plans of the government it's only it hasn't been much uh, actual master plan being uh, reviewed and a lot of it will only be reviewed in the coming months ahead especially looking out for the upcoming budget 2024 i think that's where you can get a better sense of the bandani government so i think for now uh, it hasn't been uh, it's a bit hard to assess how much of the current policies reflect the bandani idea given that as i also alluded to civil service and time to buy into this Madani idea if you're even buying into it. But then going back to your first point that I mentioned about this widening social and economic inequalities in Malaysia is for propelling the growth of populism, right-wing extremism, so as to speak. I think that's probably what the Madani government is trying to tackle, which is something that is not, you know, as we say, it's, it's what you mentioned, it's not unique to Malaysia. Even UK, you have the rise of 
the Brexit party, you have the rise of uh, even France, you have the rise of uh, Marie Le Pen's right-wing uh, nationalism. So probably the difficulty of Malaysia fundamentally goes down to Malaysia has been the middle-class trap for the last 20, 30 years, ever since the 90s. And I think that, you know, to be fair, there has been, it's, it's not to say that rich has gotten richer, the poor has gotten poorer. I think the poor has also gotten somewhat better in Malaysia in the last 10, 20 years, especially with the implementation of minimum wage about 10 years ago. But the crux of Malaysia issue a lot of it is due to the uh, perceived stagnation or even the shrinking of the middle class, right? So you're, you, the, the people in the B40, they are experiencing at least absolute and also relative uh, income gains, needless to say, people at the top, but it's people at the middle, like people, for example, your uh, youth graduates who are working in the uh, economy who are not having a clear career progression. And I think the Madani uh, government ultimately needs to tackle this idea of the middle class, which is not growing as what it should be in other countries. And if Malaysian middle class continue to shrink where people are either push and most of the middle class who string will go to the B40 and it's been the B50 now ever since COVID. And this would be a big problem for Anwar's government. So to be fair, uh, Rafizi, the economic minister Rafizi himself, actually did mention that Malaysia, like one of their concrete policies mentioned is this idea of progressive wage, right? Trying to learn from Singapore. So when the idea was first proposed, there was some traction, but after he clarified that, you know, actually this progressive wage, which actually links to this idea of Madani, right? This idea of being having uh, compassion, you know, you know, you you pay low wage workers a, a fair wage itself, right? Rather than just what's the legal mandated. So these are all good and well policies thought in mind. But you know, he sub Rafizi subsequently clarified that this would be a voluntary option or in policy, which I would say then in that sense would does it wouldn't then that defeats the purpose of you know the Madani idea of having a fair and just economic system. So I would say that now the government does have some good plans floating around. It hasn't been really concretized, but as I always alluded to, is the idea of implementation. And if it's going to be another voluntary opt-in, then how would it be different from corporate social responsibility? And you know that doesn't really help to uh, mitigate against the worst effects of capitalism in Malaysia, so as to say. So when it comes to countering right-wing populism, what specific elements of the Malaysia Madani narrative could be effective in appealing to all Malaysians, including those in the Malay heartland? One key idea of the Madani idea, which is uh, you know, rest, compassion and trust, I think that's something that if effectively propagated will be I mean, the, the, the rise of the right-wing green wave, I mean, I don't really like the term, but I think it's more of a reflection of rising economic precariousness among right. uh, broad swaths of Malays, be it in the urban poor or the rural, you know, masses, right. dependent on palm oil, kelapa sawit. And, and these are all unresolved economic issues, which, you know, left unresolved very faster and, you know, with all this racial and religious rhetoric going behind, right? So so things like um, compassion, trust, this would definitely be able to help bridge the political divide, you know, appealing Malaysians to be, you know, accepting and tolerant of each other's differences in religion or even cultural practices. But I do think that given that Malaysia has increasingly been a more, well, at least among the Malay Muslims, has been increasingly... Uh, leaning towards the religious conservatism ever since the 80s, 
that trend has continued unabated. In fact, intensified in the last decade or so. I think it's going to be a bit of a difficulty to propagate the ideas of, uh, you know, accepting different uh, religious practices and cultures, given the broader social, especially the religious, how this course has been reframed, right? So I think one idea just to think about, you know, whether the Badani idea can gain traction along broad masses is that uh, we just reported re very recently that Anwar attended a religious conversion uh, ceremony of a Hindu, was it Hindu youth that's converting to Islam, right? And I think that has gotten quite a lot of uh, discussion in Malaysia, right? And I think that's implicit recognition that, you know, for as much as the idea of Madani, of tolerance, mutual respect of differences would hold, there's still a need for Dato Sri Anwar himself to appeal to the conservatively Muslim masses. Therefore, I mean, it's still pretty unprecedented for sitting Prime Minister of Malaysia to be physically present in a religious conversion exercise to Islam. So I think that says something about the current Malaysia political uh, and religious you know, and climate, which means that to some extent, some aspect of Madani ideals have to be um, matched with the actual political realities on the ground. So, just to talk about that a little bit further, right? How does the Malaysia Madani narrative address issues related to ethnic and religious diversity, um, which are often you know, the, the sort of central um, talking points, right? Um, when it comes to right-wing populist um, rhetoric in Malaysia, it's the issue Tigal R, as they always like to to frame it, right? I, I'm wondering if the, the Malaysia Madani narrative addresses those issues or, or provides a counter to those Tigal R narrative. I think at this abstract level, the Madani idea is definitely very uh, timely because it speaks to the Malay Muslim masses, that, you know, there's a different way of doing Islam, political Islam, compared to what Pars and Perikatan has been trying to propagate. And as what, you know, the Medina Charter where Prophet was in Medina having established that framework. This idea of, uh, you know, how does Muslim leadership coexist with non-Muslim citizens or residents at that time in Medina. And that is definitely a very compelling and, a, and timely narrative for Malay Muslims to reimagine how they should and can relate to non-Muslims in Malaysia, especially when you have leaders like Hadi Awang mentioning a bit more of the extreme rhetoric about Malay and Muslim leadership. So definitely at the ideological level, this is something that's extremely needed. And um, you know, and because it does have religious values and references, uh, I think it is a bit more palatable and or at the very least it, 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 it there's a there's some ammunition for the Madani idea to be against uh Pikatan in contrast to one Malaysia, right? Which is just purely just a secular idea which doesn't really have much Islamic references or backing for the matter. But we would all be familiar with the time where uh, former Prime Minister Abdullah tried to do something similar with the Islam Hari, right? Moderate Islam idea. And that really didn't go well, even among the conservative Malay Muslims. And this is the early 2000s. If anything, I think Malaysia has become more conservative since Badawi's time. So I would say that in practical terms, it's going to be a hard sell for Madani in order to be accepted among the large majority of Malay Muslims in Malaysia, given the uh, the general conservative approach towards religion itself. 
how, how do you view this, right? Because on the one hand, um, you say it is a, a, broadly speaking, it is a good sort of philosophy, a philosophy that, that provides a, a different view on how Islam can be a part of politics, political Islam, um, a, a view or a narrative um, that is different from what PAS and Perikata National is offering. But at the same time, you talk about, you know, how at the end of the day, um, one of the core driving factors towards the rise on in popularity of um, uh, political parties like PAS is the economic grievances um, of majority of the population. And I think it's you know very obvious when we look at the results of the recent state elections, where of the six states, those that have the higher median wage when the support went to Harapan and those three states with the lowest median wage, the support went to pass. So when you look at all this, right, how um, impactful do you see the Madani brand being in terms of really, you know, sort of capturing the imagination of the Malaysian masses, especially since when you say you look at the economic analysis of it, um, while the broader moral philosophy is good, the, the economic analysis is still very similar to um, the predecessors of Anwar, where it re relies on FDI, it relies on the same economic framework of capitalism, um, and, and so on and so forth. Um, how do you view all of this, um, and, and how do you think it's going to capture the imagination of the public? I would say that for you to capture, uh, especially the Malay Muslim uh popularity from, from Madani to be a popular slogan. Uh, Anwar needs to resolve the pers the persistent and in fact even widening uh, income gap between uh, especially the lower income Malays versus the, 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 the broad middle class. And that's something that uh, so long as this economic tension and this perceived deprivation or gap forever you call it to be remains unresolved and it has widened ever since COVID as what we have seen with falling real income of uh, youth graduates and also youth in general and as long as this widening income gap has not been resolved then I would say that the Madani idea would probably find it hard to gain traction among the Malaysian Malays right or, or I mean, of course, the, the Madani idea would be popular among non-Malays because as what Anwar mentions, to say that, you know, race and religion should not be uh, as a factor to differentiate us and government policy should be equal on all races. So that so definitely the non-Malays should has, have already been more or less on board the Malaysian Madani idea. But I think we are really more looking at the Malay ground now. And I think that as long as the economy uh, gets and underperformance of Malays has not been resolved, then it would be a struggle for the Madani idea to be sold. Because this is where you, as what we've, um, so I did some uh, statistical uh, regression on um, looking at the median household income of the seats in Selangor in Malay majority seats and versus uh, vote share for Perikatan. So there is there has been a correlation, right, between uh, the lower the income, the household income, the of that seat and support for Brikata National, right? So, at, at, you know, as long as these underlying economic dynamics are not going to be resolved, I don't think slightly for Malay Muslims to say that, you know, we are ready for abolishing the affirmative action and we are going to have 
you know, uh, eco trip, right? You know, and and it's it's just not practical if people are really struggling, and um, and and, and the more they will need to depend on such uh, bit uh discretionary handouts or racial preferential treatment. So I think that's something that has to be resolved first. All right, Kevin. Before we wrap this conversation up, would you have some final thoughts for us or a final message with regard to you know the Malaysia Madani brand and where it where it goes from here? The Manali is definitely going to be an attractive philosophical idea because it's a different ring. It, it contrasts against the simple messages of the predecessors like One Malaysia, whereas Madani is comprehensive, all-encompassing on different aspects of a flourishing, almost like a Salam Sejahtera kind of idea, right? But whether it can be implemented, especially as Malaysia faces strong economic hate, hate winds and you know income gap, among regions and even among classes and racial groups, this would be the crucial factor determining whether the Mudani idea can be achieved if these challenges can be overcome or it would just be like another of the slogans as Anwar's immediate predecessors, you know, uh, gone in the weakness once the Prime Minister steps down. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. That was Kevin Zhang, Senior Research Officer at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.